What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to episode number 122 of the VK Bros. With the VK Bros, Jason and Alex Von Cannell in a very big news week. Very big news week. So should we get straight into it? I mean, it's pretty big. Pretty big. It's pretty big. I, I do want to start. The first thing I actually want to start on is everybody's Spotify. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's what are it they called? called? The the list of the things that you listen to the most. And first of all, it's a massive data capture and just a trick to show you, like how much data they can create and they can literally profile you. Mm-hmm. Now the good thing that I found is that I don't use Spotify for anything but listening to Joe Rogan. Yep. But YouTube has a version of it, mm-hmm. which is dumb. Like as in. <laughs> it showed it said that I loved like I loved hits but then it called me like renegade in my profile I'm like no you know I listen to the same music that I have done since the 2000s mm-hmm. and I listen to the big hits because they're the bangers and I'm not a renegade at all I listen to no new music I literally cannot be a renegade um, but guess what if you had to guess knowing me what do you reckon my number one listen to song uh, sorry artist was the number one listen to artist. Now, to be fair, I don't listen to much music. I only listen to yeah. 1,600 minutes. Primus? Primus is number five. Okay. I thought it would have rated high too. Um, I don't know. Tool was number one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, that's fair enough because if you listen to the same amount of songs, you're listening to True. three times as many minutes from Tool. I guess the number two was? Don't know. Limp Bizkit. <laughs> I was in the, the top 3% of Limp Bizkit. And I was joking to Tasha because the most... You're in the top 3% of Limp Biscuit listeners? Or... Is that what that I means? don't know what the stat is, but it said you're in... Oh, I'll pull, I'll pull it up. I'll pull it up. <laughs> it was just so funny because... Now, everyone... Let's address this straight off the bat. Everyone gives Limp Biscuit shit. Now, anyone who's old enough to know who Limp Biscuit is... You were in the top 3% of, of Limp Biscuit listeners. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. But they copped a lot of flack... But they, they basically created the new metal genre. The first two albums were off their heads. Yeah. Like two of the best albums ever. Yeah. Chocolate, uh, what is it? Um, is it Significant Other and Chocolate Starfish? Yeah, Chocolate Starfish, yeah. Which is, there's not a bad song on them. They're mm. great. Yeah. Uh, so my, Treat my, yourself. Go and, go and listen to some Limp Bizkit. Yeah, especially you young guys. Go back and listen to Limp Bizkit and you will, you will... Love us for it. Whenever you like see news stories about like how the economy is going or about how you're never going to be able to own your own home, just go and listen to Break Stuff by Limp Bizkit. <laughs> Funny you say that because that was my most listened to. One. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised at all. But Tasha identified. She goes, "You only play that when I'm in the car," because the constant joke is that like whenever whenever she's being like moody, I'll mm. put that song on. Mm. I'm like, "Oh, this is you know this is a, a a song version of how you're feeling right now." Yeah, yeah. So mine was Tool, Limp Bizkit, Raging Against Machine, Queens of the Stone Age and Primus. So yeah, no man. band that was like is newer than... Like what's the newest band on there? Queen... Is, there is there any new music that's good? If there is, I don't know about it. They, that, haven't they done studies on this sort of thing where like... Because music is such an... And I might be completely pulling this out of my bum, by the way. But because music is such an emotional thing... Uh, People generally, whatever they listen to in when they were teenagers is generally what they listen to for life because oftentimes we are most emotional as teenagers. So therefore the music seems more powerful to you that you listen to you when you went through those emotions 
probably for the first time and when like all your hormones and stuff are raging around your body. So it actually it actually felt like music meant more at that period of your life, therefore you enjoyed more it for the rest of your life. Yeah. I totally believe that because I get super emotional when I listen to songs that I listened to mm. when I was a teenager, for yeah. sure. Like I get goosebumps mm. listening to like and I have to say this now, if if, if anyone's like delves deep into music my number one motivational song, if I ever feel down, and because I think music is extremely powerful, 100%. and I don't listen to enough because I'm trying to like I, I'm definitely more a podcast person because yeah. I'm trying to learn stuff all the time. Yep. But if you need to decompress or if you need to sort of um, deal with something mentally, mm-hmm. listen to Break Stuff by Limp Bizkit. That that's a good that's a good one too as a quick release. That's like the hand job of a of motivation, I think. Just a sneaky hand job. But I think I think Limp Bizkit are the hand job of, of music. Yeah, I'd, I'd get that. <laughs> but if you want something that will literally fix your um, your life, your outlook on life, the world, the universe, mm-hmm. Lateralis from Tool, mm-hmm. and if you analyse the lyrics in it, there is nothing more motivational. There is that song... Read the lyrics, listen to the song. Great track. Put yourself in a quiet, you know, I think it's 12 minutes long, so put yourself in a, in a, in a quiet room, mm-hmm. listen to it loud, yeah. and and uh, read the lyrics and try to analyse the lyrics. Watch the film clip too, it's true about. You, there is nothing, like, there is no more powerful message, I think, that's mm. that I've ever heard. Yeah. And whenever I think, whenever I come up to a problem in, my, in, in life and I can't solve it, I listen to that song and it just makes me feel at peace, like completely mm. calm. Which so lateralis, L A T. So so tell us in the comments what's your go to song? If you if Don't you give just, us your data, we're not asking for your, yeah. your personal data. Yeah, what is the last four digits on your credit card? <laughs> what is your mum's maiden name? Like we were joking about this this morning. Uh, so with these the whole Spotify, whatever it's called, where everyone's posting up everything they listen to, uh, stop doing that. That's your that is that tells scammers or it's a data point. It's a data point exactly. So, and one of the things that I found fascinating over the pandy because this really only happened in the last two years is all those things. I think it's Facebook that does them, where it's like post the last picture you took with your dog, like, and but I found them getting more and more specific. Like one of them was like, um, like post up your like. What, what jobs have you done? And I had friends posting up their entire, like, resume. Yeah. Their entire job history. And yeah. it's like, that. these are data points that scammers can use. Like, if... Post if, up your current biometric data. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's get a detailed scan of your iris. They should literally just say, just send us your money. Yeah, yeah Just yeah. send us your money. Uh, it's, yeah, it, it's really dumb. Like, it's so interesting how we've literally gone from... Uh, data security being really, really important to all of us to we just literally post up everything now. There was a funny meme that was like in the 1950s, we can't talk on this phone because it might be being listened to. No, we might we might have the wires tapped and then now, uh, hey, wire tap, give me, a, give me a recipe for pancakes. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Man. Yeah, and data is super valuable. And I look, yeah. I, I'm not that... Um, I'm not that scared of what they're going to do with it. I just hate the fact that they're making money out of it and I'm not. Yeah. That's what I don't like. It's my, like they're harvesting my data mm-hmm. and I get nothing in return except yeah, the free right. service. Yeah. So, yeah, um, there was that. So, want to throw that out there. 
Do you want to talk about the internal dialogue? Yeah, we can do that if you want. Okay, so I saw... Oh, just before you move on, I'll just say my song, because Lateralis is one of them yeah, for me. Yeah, yeah. My song is Judith by Perfect Circle. Yeah, that's a big one too. Yeah. That's a big one. Big Which, crescendos. Yeah, yeah massive, crescendo. massive crescendos. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, but interesting fact is, and like, I, I loved that song in high school and didn't really know what it was about until probably only five or six years ago. Like, do you know what that song's actually about? No. So, uh... It's about Maynard singing about his mum. His mum's a devout Christian and she had some sort of, I don't know whether it was like a stroke or a heart attack or something, but lost the use of her legs. Right. And still believed in God and was a devout Christian afterwards. So like, like you know, when you think about the words and he's like, you're such an inspiration for the ways that I would never, ever choose to be. Um, oh, so many ways for me to show you how your saint has abandoned you. Right, Fuck right. your God, your Lord. Like, it's literally, he's so angry and upset because he's like, you believe in this God and he took away your legs and you still praise him? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, heavy themes. Yeah, Heavy that's themes, heavy. right? But just that song, yeah, uh, Judith by Perfect Circle. Like, great, And I guess great to, song. to talk about, like, I think... I'm even getting goosebumps just telling yeah, the story now. One know? of the reasons why I think I'm very... I've always questioned authority is listening to Rage Against Machine in the 90s. Yeah, which is why it's so sad where they're at now. <laughs> See, I wonder if that's real or if it's a narrative that's been built to... No, there was... I mean, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But even during the pandemic and stuff, there was all these stories about how they were playing concerts where they w- they were telling people, they were not letting you in, we're not letting you in unless you're vaccinated. Yeah, okay. So, that's like... So yeah, it's... It's like the polar... Op- they are the machine. <laughs> Raging they become for the machine. The machine. Yeah. yeah, but Unfortunately. The, the, all the themes of their early stuff... And I, I have to give a shout-out to an English teacher of mine at school. She confiscated my, my albums. Right. But not for bad reasons. She read all the lyrics in the... Like, because back, mm. back in the old days, kids, you'd have a CD, and inside the CD there'd be all this album art, and usually mm. the album art would have the lyrics written in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she brought it all back and gave us a project to do mm. on one of the songs. And the yeah. song was Take the Power Back. Yeah, and right. it was the first time I'd really analysed lyrics in yeah. a song. And that's when it hit me. I was like, oh man, that's like what they are. Mm-hmm. They're literally singing about, uh, you know, uh, indoctrination in schools and, mm-hmm. and, and government overreach and, yeah. and, and just to question everything. And, and that it, we need to take the power back. You know, we need yeah. to, like, as, as individuals. So... Um, I, I, definitely formative, I think, is probably the word that that, uh, that music is. And, and But it's interesting, too, when, when you explain that that way, because I definitely think that that's a big factor, but it's all media that we consumed when we were younger. Like, I think about all the time, uh, what were the movies that we watched when we were kids? And we watched action movies all the time. Like, we watched Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, Die Hard, like... Mm. Every movie that we watched that came out in the 90s was about a normal white dude uh, going up against insurmountable odds and overcoming and, and saving the day. That's yeah. what the theme of pretty much every single one of those movies was. Yeah. Predator. like Not not normal guys, obviously, in that movie. But yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's a, he's a god. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> but even, even Billy Madison, to a degree, right? Like... That was about a dumb, rich kid, yeah. but he works on himself and overcomes and becomes the adult that he should have been yeah. at the end of it. And 
I wonder how much that played into my psyche because, you know, I've got a long history of going up against authority figures and doing okay out of it in the end, even though it can be abrasive at the time. So I think one of the reasons why we probably questioned a lot of things early on in the pandemic is because we're not naturally programmed to just go along with whatever we're being told to go along with. We're naturally programmed to question things and go, maybe is there something else going on here? Yeah. And then I look at media and how media itself has changed in the last two decades since we were young. uh, What's it called? What's the, not naive, but... uh, Clean slates is probably mm-hmm. the best way to call it. And like I look at media these days and I think we spoke about this on the podcast a few weeks ago about how when Andrew Tate got cancelled because they like they didn't want anyone watching Andrew Tate mm. content. And a lot of his content, yeah, he says some dumb stuff, but he also says some really empowering stuff, yeah. especially to men. And about, hey, if you want power, these are the things that you need to do. Yeah. Right? So they're actually good messages. But the entire ecosystem cancelled Andrew Tate. And yet you go on, I reckon if you went on Spotify and looked at what the number one song was, it was probably WAP or something like that. And yeah. you go, so they don't want men being shown empowerment stuff. And then at the same time, they want young girls thinking that women's empowerment is talking about your wet ass pussy. Yeah. Right? Like, how is that changing the mindset of that generation so when they become adults? Like, is that having a deep-seated effect? I'm sure it's having some form sure. of effect, yeah, yeah, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, it's interesting, that whole subject and the whole ecosystem that's built around us. It's funny you spoke about the Tate thing because I'd spoken to some people during the week and they're like, they posted something and I was like, oh, that's like a like a bit of a Tateism, mm. And like, oh, no, no, it can't be, like, don't like it. Like, like, what do you know about them? Like, nothing. Mm. But it, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, I guess it's headline readers, which has probably been around, around forever. And then yeah. I challenged the person, I said... Like, here's a piece of content, watch the whole thing in its entirety, and then make it your mind up. Yeah. And to her credit, she watched it. Yeah. So I, I haven't uh, followed up, but, mm-hmm. you know, I, I put myself through a struggle. I listened to, remember I asked you yeah, to listen. Destiny on Lex Friedman's podcast. So he's, like, known as the Ben Shapiro of the left, and I th- I'd seen a couple of clips, and they, like, they kind of triggered me, and I was like, man. But I, I had to do my due diligence. I had to mm-hmm. listen to it because, you know, I, I have a position, but... I can only validate my own position if I know what I'm positioning against. That's right. And that's, so, that's so I a did forgotten it. art. For sure, for sure. And it was four-hour podcast. Like, mm. it was a lot of investment that went in. Yeah. And look, I'm so glad I did. Because mm. there was some... What I really liked about that was there were so many things that all of us are on the same page about. That's right. You realise that the differences are 10% and for the similarities sure. are 90%. For sure. But, but we only see... The extremes. Because you only make money out of the extremes. Correct, yeah. Right? So you only you only create... Well, you only get eyeballs by going to the things that give people an emotional response, whether that is pure elation or anger. Mm. Right? Oh, and speaking of eyeballs, thank you to the people that sent us their um, roundup, Spotify roundup. Yep. And, and then our show... Yeah, making um, the top up. five on, on, on some people's podcast listeners. So not bad for a weekly show. Yeah. Thanks for your support. Really appreciate it, guys. Joe Rogan was obviously... Like, we, we were sort of in the same yeah. uh, area as Joe Rogan. And yeah. Joe Rogan does like three or four or five pods a week. Yeah, so if we did three or four or five pods a week, we'd probably be number one, right? Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, throw us some money, spotties. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. Um, now, some stuff that I picked up during the week, and it's funny yeah. because... A lot of this stuff has 
it happened early on the week is when I took these notes. Yep. And there's been no mention of it since, which is a bit of a shame, but I think it's important that we go through. Uh, the first of which is, in great news, they reported in the first, uh, first couple of days of this month that retail spending went down in Australia for the first time. Yeah. Okay, so that's what we've been speaking about this whole time. We wanted to see a slowing. No one was doing it. Mm-hmm. More people are now talking about it, which is great. Yep. So it might mean we're not going to hit that you know, double-digit mm-hmm. interest rate thing, potentially, <clears throat> but we'll see because we yeah. have to maintain it. If Christmas is a boomer again... You know, if this has put people into a false sense of security and we go mega yeah. in Christmas, we'll be right back where we started. Yeah. So everyone who didn't spend, good on you. Yeah. Good on you. Interestingly enough And on people that... don't want to clap back at me, yes, I drove the Ferrari today. I put fuel in it today because fuel was at $1.69. It was very yeah. cheap. Yeah, that's right. Mm. Um, doing your bit for the economy. Yeah. Uh, I saw during the week as well that there were some new statistics that came out of America saying that inflation was starting, actually went backwards slightly last month. Mm-hmm. So being that the entire Western world is experiencing rampant inflation, increasing interest rates and interesting, increasing cost of living, it is a good idea to keep an eye on the United States because what happens over there generally is what happens For over sure. here. Yep, just and, later. Yeah, and something that's a little bit, I, I can't even say conspiratorial about this, but uh, Senator Jared Rennick, one of our one of our favourites, he had posted some clips up. I can't remember if it was last week or the week before, where he was querying uh, one of not Philip Lowe, but one of the other high up officials in the RBA about he had put in a freedom of information request on to receive some of their email correspondence between the RBA, so the Reserve Bank of Australia. And other central banks around the world, as yeah. well as the World Bank, and they had declined that, saying that it was confidential, confidential yeah. communications. So, just consider that for a second. So you've you've literally got this situation where banks around the world, reserve banks around the world, are saying inflation. Call them too- central banks. Central banks. Yeah. Central banks around the world are saying inflation is far too high, so the only option that we have is to increase interest rates. Now, one other thing that came up in these estimates hearings was that during COVID, during the pandemic, the Reserve Bank of Australia lent $180 billion to retail banks in Australia at 0.1%, which is what the cash rate was at its lowest. So they lent them $180 billion at 0.1% to stimulate the economy. So it was for these banks to then hand out, to get money out into the to economy. To lend out. To so they're supposed out. to lend out to businesses. Yep. Which, and I know this very uh, very well because uh, a Commonwealth bank was listed at the top of the list yep. to go and get a 50% government-backed loan mm-hmm. uh, to get the economy moving. Yep. And Combank did not even let me take an, uh, take an application. No, and this is, I think... We're seeing now why, because there were other people they could lend that money out to with a higher margin on it. Mm. So these banks weren't lending this money out at 0.1% at cost price. They were lending it out at about 25 to 3%. So yep. you're talking a, a 25 to 3% margin. So in other words, Australia's Reserve Bank, so the bank that is supposed to help control our economy and work for the citizens, gave extremely, almost cheap, or almost free money mm-hmm to retail banks for the retail banking sector to then go and make money off the rest of us to stimulate the economy. Yeah. 
like oh, and also at the same time, uh, the correspondence between them and the other central banks around the world is confidential. So you don't even know whether or not there is cartel conduct going on. But we know that there is cartel conduct. Yeah, like it's clear as day. Yeah, yeah. They just, they just can't say it out loud. That's yeah. why they're going to... Because so, they, so the, those central banks will ring each other every day and mm-hmm. decide what the price of... The, what the price of like what the interest rates are, yep. they'll decide what the what the uh, uh, what the price of gold is. It's yep. not free market. It's yep. and that's why Bitcoin, baby. Yeah, but just before you move move on, uh, so what cartel conduct is is when different businesses uh, who are supposed to be competitors speak with each other and align their interests to try to increase profitability. That's basically what cartel conduct is. We we. Uh, got a lot of lessons about this in the motor industry because you need to know it is actually illegal if you go into a Volkswagen dealership in a suburb and you inquire in a car and then you go into another Volkswagen uh, dealership in a neighboring suburb it is illegal for those two businesses to call each other and go hey uh, saw Alex like came in to have a look around your showroom like let's collude on pricing to make sure we don't have to discount that is illegal it's called cartel conduct it is illegal. It's a form of fraud yeah. and massive penalties for private business. Our Reserve Bank is doing that with the other central banks around the world. Yeah. And it's all good because they get to keep their correspondence com- com- uh, confidential. confidential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Saw someone put it the most interesting way this week, which I think we've already spoken about, but just made it as clear as day, is our world is completely topsy-turvy at the moment. Uh, our... Politicians who are supposed to be public servants are allowed to hide all the information from us because you've got these commercial and confidence deals, you've got confidential emails for the RBA, we've got the commercial and confidence deals for the WellCamp uh, quarantine facility and for the Pfizer contracts and all of those things, all confidential, even though they're public servants using public money. Yep. But they want all of our personal information, even though we are private citizens. Yeah. So the way that it's supposed to work in a democracy is that the private citizens are supposed to know everything about their public servants, and the public servants are supposed to know nothing about the private citizens. Yeah. But that's the opposite of yeah. what we've got going at the moment. And then he went on to say as well, I can't remember who it was, I, I wish I could do a reference, but uh, the next thing he said was, like, the media is topsy-turvy as well. The media is supposed to report what the facts are and then we are supposed to formulate our opinion based on the facts. Yeah. Whereas if you watch the news, you will see that the media tells us what their opinion is and then we have to figure out whether or not the news story is a fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is wild. It's and now something we, I, I don't want to gloss over because it was the next point, but it's in line with the RBA stuff, mm. which is... Professor Philip Lowe. Yeah. Now, I'm going to put this in quotations. Apologising for... So, he's our... He's the governor of the Reserve Bank of Australia. Yeah. Now, he has been grilled at a Senate hearing. And he said... The media reported that he apologised for uh, basically throwing the nation up a tree by saying, hey... Go and buy, go and buy a house. Go go into debt because interest rates aren't going to go up till twenty twenty. Yeah. So just just to flesh that out a little bit, last year, so late twenty twenty one, he had put a statement out saying that the Reserve Bank was unlikely to increase interest rates until such a time as if there was a few different factors, and one of them was wage growth. So and then they said we are not anticipating that to happen until at least twenty twenty four, and then. 
in 2022, we've had seven months of consecutive rate rises. And an absolute supercharging of retail lending for, yes. for mortgages. Now, we've spoke about this last week, but it hurts. Anyone who just got in, it's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Like anyone who just got a mortgage in the last two years, like mm-hmm. it's going to hurt. You're going you're gonna to be stuck paying, um, you know, essentially it's going to be end up being double the interest rate. Yeah. Uh, on your already inflated yeah. housing price. Now, the really tricky thing is that when you drill down to what he said, he didn't apologise at all. No. His exact words were, I'm sorry that people acted on our advice. It was, I'm sorry that people listened to me yeah. and acted on our advice. Yeah, which is the most... It's like, ludicrous. Like, yeah. Absolutely ludicrous. You were supposed to be the specialist who works for the people to advise the people yeah. what the fuck is going on. Non-elected bureaucrat on yeah. a million dollars a year. Yeah, and then he comes out and just goes, oh, I'm sorry that people listened to me and acted on my advice. Yeah. I wonder if he's got a financial services um, license. Mm. <laughs> honestly, that. honestly, that's an interesting question. Yeah, because uh, you're not allowed to give financial advice. Well, and he did. But te- uh, well, then can we say? Can we then? Can I give financial advice and say? No, oh, I'm sorry that people listened. No, because technically, with the way that the financial advice laws work, he would just say that that was general advice because it like financial advice takes into uh, consideration your specific financial circumstances but everyone's, individual. everyone's individual circumstances are dictated upon his actions yeah I know but I think that the, there's enough wording in the legislation for him to get around it yeah okay, I think. okay. so uh, yeah D-bag if you see him in the street um, fart on him yeah just fart my, fart in his general in, in direction in his general direction it really yeah. just just get him get him with one now we need to talk about the Melbourne election I know it feels like a bit of a like it's already happened yeah, but that's part of the problem too, right? The news cycle moved on from that election very quickly, didn't it? Yes, but I want to hear what your I want to hear what your breakdown of and I'll tell you the feelings that I had after. So, do you mean in regards to why I think he won? Or just well, the talk general? about the data first. So, what what was the end result? Okay. So, Labor essentially won in a landslide. Now, what was it? Was it a landslide? Yeah, it was. Okay. Based on the amount of seats they picked up, it's a landslide. So they, all the pundits were coming out beforehand saying that there was, it was likely that Labor was going to win. Sportsbet had them as the red hot favourites as well. But Jason uses, and correctly so, he uses Sportsbet data, holds it into much higher regard than oh, what polling data. Don't in the polls. Yeah. Polls are bullshit. And, it, it's again been confirmed. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way to go. If you want to know what's really going on in the world, see if Sportsbet has a market on yeah, it. They're pretty yeah. good. But uh, so yeah, they they were red hot favourites. Uh, but there was a lot of talk before the election that potentially they would lose enough seats to not have a majority government. And I think that there's enough seats decided now because I know they were still doing some counting yeah. in the last couple of days. But uh, I, th- I believe they have either a majority or you know their crossbench that they worked with for the last four years. They're all going to be working together with them as well. Now, I actually had a lot of people ask me why, why, with all of the negative things that we've seen from that state in the last couple of years, why I thought that not only did Labor win and so strongly, but why did Dan win in his own seat? And I definitely think it's a combination of a lot of different things. 
number one, we've got the things we've already spoken about before with things such as the uh, electoral uh, donation laws. In other words, all of the competitors did not have anywhere near the financial resources to effectively market and get their message out. Yep. Now, this, you have to keep in mind, Dan Andrews was on TV every single day for two straight years. Yeah. He is known, he is familiar. Yep. And one of the things that uh, Labor, but left side of politics does extremely well everywhere is they cater to like the the empaths in the world the the mothers single mums in particular like they are the cuddle that is going to take care of you and he really he's very he's a he's a wordsmith he's very very good with his language and if you go back and watch some of his press conferences from uh the pandemic one of the things that I think is fascinating about Dan Andrews is he is so amazingly good at making an authoritarian action sound like he's doing that for you. Yeah, it's like a slap and cuddle. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's not even that because he doesn't even slap you. It's like people think that the cage that he's building around them is his arms coming around yeah, the cuddle, interesting, right? Interesting, yeah. It's it's amazing, and so I do believe that there. So I think marketing number one, he had access to a lot more funds, but also was doing marketing for the last two years before the election money even started. Yeah. Anyway, so he's already on a head start. Number two, extremely weak liberal opposition. Yeah. So the problem with the liberals, and this is a lesson to any political party out there. Unfortunately, it's not enough to run on a campaign of that guy's corrupt and we're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what you see a lot of in like America at the moment too. It's all just anti-Trump or anti-Biden. That's not enough. Yeah. And I feel like, because I paid pretty close attention to it, I don't even know what a lot of liberals' policies are and things. The only things that I know that the liberals had policies on were things related to the pandemic. Because that was the hot button topic. So they were going to do things like repealing the pandemic legislation, stuff like that. Removing vaccine mandates, those sorts of things. But I'd also add that none of that was spoken during. Yeah. So there was no voice. Like like you said, he had he was he had the ability, Dean Andrews had the ability to start <laughs> effectively campaigning yep. prior. Well, the Libs had every opportunity to put That's their right. voices out there, which they didn't do. Yep. Which is very different to what, say, Dutton's doing in the federal yeah, and like Barney, they're fighting now. Like, and yeah. they're, they're getting their face in the news all the time. Yep. There was nothing, no talk from the list. That's right. And this is where, this is where I feel like, <clears throat> in 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 Victoria, which I think, like, it's time. You know, now the Queen's dead. Uh, it's probably time to rename Victoria to New Stockholm. Yes, I think there's a massive degree of Stockholm syndrome down there. I think that. Out of all the states in Australia, they were the most fearful because they were programmed to be fearful because he was the most authoritarian. And you've got to remember too, if you're telling people that COVID is such a deadly disease that it justifies having your police act as an army shooting rubber bullets at protesters in the street, that means you think it's a pretty big deal, right? Yeah. And I, I genuinely believe a large percentage of that population down there thinks that he did every decision for them. I, I honestly think well, they I believe I was there that. in uh, the start of the year. Yep. 
and they were a different... They were not ready yeah. to see people again. They had this really, and uh, like, beaten down yep. persona yep. about them, which is unlike... Like, I, I, I go to Melbourne a fair bit. I like the city. I really like Yeah, yeah. It's one of my favourite places to visit. Really different. Mm. And um, I t- now, it could be that the feeling that I had was the opposite. The okay. feeling I had was, wow... Maybe we are so far, our, our thoughts and ideas are so out there, so on the periphery. We're so uh, minoric. It's not, not a word, I understand that. Moronic, minoric. Right? It's so on the fringe. Mm-hmm. And sure, we saw heaps and heaps of data and we, we thought, oh, there's no way that he could make it back in after everything that he's done. But the thicker, dense, more dense, wider accepted thought process is that it was good everything he did was right i had that initial thought too but then when i analyzed it i don't think that's correct because labor only got 37 percent of the primary vote so that means that 63 percent of people did not put labor first on their vote yeah so as much, and look, there's there's all the group voting ticket issues and stuff like that, which we've gone through before. We don't need to get into it. I'm sure the group voting ticket has assisted Labor in getting re-elected. Um, Discernible put a really good post up on where he they they've got the percentages of the um, whichever party was the first preference. What percentage of their voters voted with a one above the line as opposed to below the line, and the only party that had more than 50% of their voters vote below the line, which means you actually control where your preferences go, was Samantha Ratnam's party, the Reason Party, right. I think. Everyone else, like it was like in the nine, 80 to 90% of people just lazily voted above the line, which I think, I think a lot of that comes down to a lack of understanding how the voting system actually works. Oh, for sure. Right? And... One, one thing that I noticed throughout the pandemic, not the pandemic, sorry, the the, uh, the run-up to the election of the campaign, no, no one wanted to speak about group voting ticket. That only came into our sphere because we saw the controversy with Glenn Drury yeah. and those videos that were leaked. The majority of people down there didn't even know that that happened because yeah. they didn't, that wasn't a mainstream news story yeah. down there. Right? Who would have thought that a stop Dan Andrews party would have helped Dan Andrews? Exactly. Yeah. Right? So... I think that there's, you know, it, it's the typical issue that we have in Australia of uh, disinterested voters, uh, generally the majority. So I think a disinterested voter probably went in and were like, oh, I hated the last two years, sacked down Andrew's party, number one, cool, I'm done. Yeah. And then they left. And then those preferences got put through to Labor because yeah, that's how, how Glenn Jury set it up. Um, one other thing, though, that I think is so important to take out of this and, like, just to just to... Uh, just sort of laid out there, Alex and I have always considered ourselves centrists, essentially. We lean left on certain things, we lean right on certain things. But one thing that has happened in the last, at least the last five years, but it's ramped up during the pandemic, is the line moved. Mm. So what used to be seen as left and right and was pretty clear cut, the line has moved. Like, things like personal liberty used to be seen as a left-wing ideal. Yeah. So you'll, you'll see a lot of you know, left-wing people uh, 
out there about abortion rights, and we saw that over the last year when when the big abortion debate was happening, when Roe v. Wade was uh, overturned in America, and you saw a lot of left-leaning people out here spouting my body, my choice, blah, 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 because that's a left-wing ideal. Mm. And yet during the pandemic, my body, my choice disappeared when it came to vaccination. And all of a sudden, you had left-leaning people who were saying, no, you need to get vaccinated for the greater good of everyone else, which is that never would have happened in the past. Well, that's something that Destiny brought up. Right. Which is he, he, he thinks what the, the left demands currently yeah is that systems be in place mm. to better help society yeah whereas what the right now represents is the individual mm-hmm. needs to be like less government and let the individual agree uh, look after themselves. and this is the the beautiful trick by the left is they and labor do this to a t dan andrews is the master of it Dan Andrews literally spoke about systems all the time. That's why they were the most locked down, because the lockdowns was the system. Mm. And this was the system that has been put in place to keep everyone safe. And the big difference between the left and the right is data. The right, because we believe in individual responsibility, we want to see the data, analyze it, and make our own decision based off the data. The left seems to be far less interested in data because if they were interested in data, if you look at Melbourne's outcomes, they were the worst in Australia. Yeah. So when it comes to infections, deaths, uh, toll on the economy, total debt level at the end of the pandemic, like, and how much it had increased by as a percentage, they had the worst outcomes out of every state. In, in every... Uh, in like, every metric. In every metric, yeah. Yeah. And... And this is a thing too. This is like when I was saying before, what Dan Andrews is a master of is he he tells everyone he's doing these things because he cares about everyone, but then he does different things. So he says the things that sound nice and then he does other things. For example, one of the things that, and if you go back, roll the tape, go on, go on YouTube where our old, old clips are, one of the things that I said was extremely irresponsible was that they held the Australian Open tennis tournament in January 2021. Yeah. So, Melbourne, the most locked down city in Australia, it's not in the world anymore because China's taken that back now because they're trying to lock down people again. But they were all about lockdown. They were, and remember the draconian rules, like only being able to leave your house for an hour a day for exercise, only within a, only had to travel within a five kilometer radius of your home. And yet, they allowed internationals to come to the country, not Novak Djokovic, because he was unvaccinated and was the biggest danger to everyone, mm. but they were allowed not only the players, but all the officials and everyone to fly into Melbourne. And then shortly afterwards, there was the next wave of COVID that went through Victoria. Yeah. But there was no mention of the fact that, like, at that point in time, we essentially had very little COVID in the community in Australia. And then we hold an international event and now it starts spreading again. No mention of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially no mention. And the reason why there was no mention was because everyone knew that everyone who was allowed to attend that event from overseas was fully vaccinated. Mm. So it didn't fit the narrative to say that that caused the next uh, wave of the pandemic. Yeah. Right? But that's an example of him getting out and saying, I'm doing all these things for you. I'm locking you in your home and not allowing you to go more than five kilometers away from your house for your safety. And yet then what he does is he takes the economic bonus of allowing this 
event to come in. And again, roll the tape, go back to it. You'll see this interviews with Dan Andrews where he's like, if we don't hold it, they'll take it off us. And then we'll never have it. Like it's a, it's a marquee event and we'll never have it in this country ever again. Like that's the way he tried to sell it. Yeah. And yet, so think about that. He was allowed to say for economic reasons for the future, we need to hold this event right now, regardless of the dangers. What about all the small business yeah, owners absolutely. who during the pandemic said, Hey, I don't feel unsafe from COVID and it's my customers' decisions whether or not they use my services. Yeah. I want to open up. And if you tell me what the data is, then I can figure out a plan that suits that's right. my business. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that's that's why that's never gonna work, is that's it? That's right. There's... And that's so to get back to what the point I was saying, for any conservative political party Data doesn't matter to the left. If you were trying to win over people who are on the left side of politics now, they do not care about data. They care about how you make them feel yeah. when you tell them the story. Yeah, totally. Right? It's like... Totally. It's, it, that's as clear as day to me. Out of Victoria, that became clear as day. It'll be interesting to see what happens in Victoria now. Uh, I think now that he's got the taste and he realised he got away effectively scot-free... There is no... Like, he's had now a reinforcement that mm-hmm. the things that he did... That's right. ...is not only right, mm-hmm. but warranted and wanted. Now, one story that I want you to keep your eye out on, especially with Christmas just around the corner, I saw a quick news clip yesterday that the Greens were pushing for health restrictions because they've got the COVID wave coming through. Now, I don't think it's a coincidence at all... That Dan Andrews has gone to the Greens and gone, hey, you need to talk about this so then I can go and reenact the pandemic declaration. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Right? I'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah, definitely keep an eye out on it. Uh... But one thing, sorry, before I, before we move on to the next subject, when to, to, to flesh out my thought a little bit of the fact that the, the left and in Australia, Labor voters, do not care about data... This is what I'm going to say. If you go on like Twitter and you see, everyone knows what the right-wing viewpoints are and the left-wing viewpoints are on Twitter or on any sort of social media. These are the things... You can follow us now on Twitter, by the way. Yeah, you can. We've just... Uh, just I'm just going to jump into that fray soon enough. The VK bros. So, with the lockdowns... So, here's something that's interesting. Anthony Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, he was on our news stations almost every day during the pandemic because he was the guy. Did you know that he got deposed by um, Congress last week? No. No, no one does. Seven hours he got deposed for, asking him all range of questions about his pandemic response. About what he did with the masks. No one's even heard about it. But the key bit of data that came out for me was how he came across doing lockdowns. So, to, to give a bit of context, Sweden who did not lock down, and we've spoken before about how well they're doing compared to every other country in regards to not only their death rate, but their economic uh, situation. Sweden didn't lock down. And when they were asked, when they asked the chief health officer in, or whatever their title is in Sweden, the reason why they didn't, they said there is no data, or there was no data to support the fact that lockdowns work. So because we didn't want to make a mistake, we chose not to lock down. Yeah. So out of Fauci's deposition, it came out that... Do you know where he got the data to do lockdowns from? China? Yeah. He had one guy in his team visit China at the beginning of the pandemic. And China went, no, no, we're sweet. We're all good. We've got this thing on on lockdown. 
right? This is the most effective thing to do. We just lock our people in their homes and we're all good. Because obviously China's lied about the pandemic the entire way yeah. through, including where the virus originated from in the beginning. And don't forget, they didn't allow any investigators into the country for 12 months yeah. to even investigate the origins of COVID. But in other words, the entire lockdown policy of the West, which came from Anthony Fauci, comes from one guy asking the Chinese Communist Party about yeah. it. Yeah, man. That's where it came from. But we were all told, trust the science. It's, you know, we can see right now it's not been effective. But the left side of politics does not care and they will support a lockdown when lockdown measures are reintroduced if they get told it will save people. Well, that... I've just swapped these two things in in the agenda because I think this fits in. Mm -hmm. Speaking of doing stuff for our security... Ah, yep. There was another report early in the week, just a small one, mm-hmm. but it didn't get past me because we've raised just it here before. Just a little before. breadcrumb. Another airport security breach. Mm-hmm. Brisbane Airport, five people uh, accidentally walked past a checkpoint, unchecked, got through. Yeah. They had to kick everyone out of the, out of the terminal mm-hmm. and, and recheck them all back in. Now, it's not a big deal. It's not newsworthy. Not at all. So I ring Jason and I'm like, I'm like, this is like, this is another one. This is like the fifth one now. I'm like, there's a, there's, this is a narrative. Yep. These are the nudges. They're building a narrative again. And Jason nails it. Now this is something we can keep an eye on. Do you want to say it or do you want me to say it? Uh, I believed that the narrative that they are building is around. So let me take a step back. COVID essentially is over. During COVID, they had the states of emergency, which gave our governments unprecedented powers yep. to remove our rights and control our movements and what we, where we could go and what we could do. Yep, yep. And I think that when that lasted for such a long period of time, they got addicted to it. And now that... So the federal state of emergency has been over since, I believe, it was April. And most of the state... State of emergencies have been over since about October, I believe. And I think they know that even though there's more cases now than there was last year, there's more deaths now, I believe, than there was last year as well. They know that it's so on the nose that they can't reintroduce these restrictions. Instead, what they are trying to do is use a different pathway to gain extraordinary powers to control certain people. And the certain people are the people who did not go along with the COVID narrative yep. and spoke against it. And I, what I believe a lot of this is down to is designating Australian citizens as domestic terrorists. Because if you are classified as a suspected domestic terrorist, your rights, even as a citizen, are revoked. They can lock you up with no charges pressed indefinitely. It is an extremely sticky situation to get out of. And with all of these breaches that you're seeing through airports, I think a big part of the control system they're trying to bring in is facial recognition technology to then be put into your digital ID and your social credit score. And Now, I was, I was absolutely anti it when you'd first mentioned that this digital ID was a big thing, mm-hmm. but that when you said it that way, they're like, oh, okay, that is actually a play to say, well, for your convenience yeah, they and your security, That's right. 
well, how about we just scan all your faces? Bunnings does it, yep. you know? How about we just scan all your faces as you come in? Has, we have a permanent record of it yep. now, and you'll be safe. That's right. So I believe that that could happen, and that actually ties in with the other thing that was mentioned, which uh, uh, dovetails nicely into your narrative, which is ASIO, for the first time since 2014, mm-hmm. has downgraded the threat from terrorism yeah the terror threat level the terror threat level is down okay but the media said uh, and i wrote it down terror threat downgraded and the media is worried about young radicalized children Mm -hmm. so they said asio has downgraded for the first time since 2014 yeah even though there has been a massive increase in uh, right. In like radicalization of young Australians, narrative building again. They're setting it up. Yeah, they are setting. It's it literally up. like pulling back a bow and arrow, like the bowstring. So they they pull the threat level down whilst simultaneously filling up the news space with extremely minor, non newsworthy stories of security breaches at airports. And what does that remind us of? That reminds us of September 11. That reminds us of the Bali bombings. They were in the news. We just had the anniversary of the Bali bombings. Was that last year? Was that early this year? No, it was early this year. Right, so that was brought back into the news cycle. Yeah. And he said we would... Albo said back then, uh, we will we will reignite the war on terror. Yeah, and well, do, you know, no terror. do you know the next thing they're going to lean on is Twitter. And how far-right extremists can now say whatever they like on Twitter, which is, again, the narrative that is being pushed from mainstream media and leftist side of politics. They are pretending that Twitter is going to become this bastion for neo-Nazis to get on and say hate things about Jews. Yeah. Right? That's what they're they're saying. Whereas if you actually go on Twitter, Elon Musk is putting the metrics up and he's like, hate speech has lowered by X amount of percentage. And what was very interesting is when he first took over Twitter and there was all of those stories about how all these people were flooding the platform and saying the N-word, yeah. they turned out to be bots, bots. funnily enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So, yeah, this is all... Keep an eye out for this, guys. This is the next narrative that they're building. They are... So you pull down the threat level, but that doesn't mean anything because you can ramp it up whenever you want. Right? For sure, for sure. All that does is it brings the terrorism threat level back into the conversation into for the, the first time since 2014. It brings the word back in. That's right. Yeah. How much terrorism have we had since 2014? Yeah. Why wasn't it lowered sooner? Yeah. Have we had any terrorist attacks since then? No. No. Was it the Lint Cafe? It was the last one yeah. that I can think of. Okay? But no, we've just lowered it now. But at the same time, we're lowering it when all of a sudden we're having these security breaches. All of a sudden, there's all of these data security breaches that we're hearing about yeah. in the news almost every single day now too. This is all building a narrative which it is going to be digital control of us, sold to us, for our convenience and our safety. That's what it's going to become. Bye, Bitcoin. Okay, so <laughs> uh, we've got two other topics. Uh, should we leave that one as the funny one at the end? Sure. Now... Uh, Sam Bankman-Fried is still in the news, and he's actually doing and he's a bit still of a, not in prison. Yeah, so not in uh, not in jail. He's the FTX CEO. Yeah. Uh, now, what, what has been funny is that he's been doing the rounds in the media. So yeah. He's actually been Un- speaking to people, unbelievable, eh? And basically incriminating himself. Like <laughs> I saw a thing on Twitter this morning. Is like his lawyers have basically told him, like, your new plan is. Shut, shut the fuck up. up. <laughs> <laughs> like, you really need to shut up. Because yeah. he's not smart. 
he's no. getting ripped apart by these guys. Yeah. And he's he pretty much admitted to having a, a back door that only he had access to to pull funds in and out. Um, what was a bit concerning I saw this morning is uh, there's been a snapshot given out by the creditors that have gone in. Yep. And to see how many super... Like, uh, Florida Teachers Union, $100 million worth of superannuation money. Interesting. There was like, there was two unions. There was a, like a couple of hedge funds, who cares, you know. A couple of individuals in there got hit really big. Do you know what's really interesting, just to probably make a point of something that may not be relevant at all, but when you specifically say Florida's Teachers Union... That brings up a whole bunch of things from the pandemic because that are conflicting. Because on the one hand, you've had... The, one of the, the beginnings of all this domestic terrorism stuff started in America because of teachers' unions with parents showing up to um, yeah. parents and citizens' meetings and going, hey, why are you reading these books about like to children about dudes blowing each other? Yeah. And then the, those parents being designated as domestic terrorists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also then you had the fact that it was the teachers' unions which were holding out saying they didn't want to go back to work because it was unsafe, yep. even though all the data had come out going, kids are fine, whatever. But then also you got the Florida element to it because Florida is obviously the bastion of the right and like yeah. Ron DeSantis is running Outcasts it. Outcasts in terms of the way the West handles yeah, it. Yeah, so it, it just makes you wonder even if it's like, is this a way of trying to get people to turn against... DeSantis and the Republican governorship uh, of that state by having the teachers lose this money. I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. maybe, maybe there, there could be there could be a link there. Yeah. Uh, so, like you said before, SBF is not in jail. Yeah, it's still looking like he's going to get away with it. He basically is just playing dumb. Oh, I didn't know when. Yeah, I saw something where he's like, "I'm going to get to the bottom of who did this." <laughs> well. <laughs> Did I talk about it's, their... It's literally that meme of like, Spider-Man pointing at himself. Did I talk to you about the, their accountant? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I talk about it here? No, I don't think so. So the the guy that was onto this a year ago, there was a reporter that knew that something was up a year ago. Mm. He said, look back at any video that anyone's spoken with SBF and you ask where his money was and yeah, he can and never he tell you. No. That's dodgy. Mm-hmm. Here's another dodgy thing that I've been screaming from the mountaintops and no one's listened. Their accountant is domiciled in the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was a joke. I'm like, yeah. no, surely that's a joke. No, they posted it up on their official filings. Yeah. Their accountant is based in the in metaverse. metaverse. Yeah. Now, for those of you that know that don't know what the metaverse is, it's not real. <laughs> it's not a real place. It's yeah. a digital place in a digital space. Yeah. They didn't even have bank accounts. Mm. So what I think's happened. I think that when they were getting all this donation money in, mm-hmm. like to set up the, the account, if, if it wasn't in crypto, they had nowhere to put the money. Yeah. So they said, well, Alameda Research Yeah, has, they can hold it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, what happens is when a dollar goes to Alameda Research, mm-hmm. well, we'll credit that dollar within FTX. Yeah. Right, I get what you're saying. They just so the money spend. never came to FTX. But they they do- just created money artificially in FTX whilst funneling all the money to Alameda. Well, no, no, no. What they've done is they've gone, okay, so Alameda's got a dollar. Well, we'll credit that dollar over here. Yeah. But then Alameda still reported that dollar as a dollar profit. Yeah. yeah or as a dollar yeah, raise. So yeah. it's a double spend. So you've, you've yeah, got two right. lots of it. Yeah. And... Um, He's blaming like market conditions. Oh, it was beautiful. He's blamed CZ from Binance for tanking the thing. He blamed Luna for going going bust. 
Mm-hmm. He's taken no responsibility himself. He yeah. said, look, I underestimated what the downturn was. Mm-hmm. Nah, dude, you just completely fucked up from top to bottom. And he didn't fuck it up. He did it sometimes. He did. stole people's money. He stole what looks like... There was like... also the stories about the um, million, like multi-million dollar beach houses that... $40 his... million? Dollars? Yeah, that his parents oh, yeah. owned that he apparently doesn't know anything about. Yeah. Like, but something else that came He's out... He's a crook, but he'll get away with it. Yeah, well, there was eight members of Congress that actively tried to block the SEC from investigating FTX like six months ago. Yeah. There's all these letters and stuff that have come out. Now, it's not all the evil Democrats. Four of the people who tried to block the investigation were Republicans too. So there's corruption on both sides well, of the aisle. SBF is saying that I know that there's $40 billion showing in... Sorry, $40 million going to Democratic parties, mm. but there's about the same amount in dark money to Republicans because people hate seeing you give to Republican candidates. So there's right. a, there's a, it is an, it is a legal function to give it. Yeah, yeah. E- Elon Musk that. had actually said, uh, there was, I think he did a tweet yesterday the day before when someone brought up that $40 million and he just said that $40 million is only his public disclosure he thinks the donation is closer to a billion dollars. He just confirmed it only like half an hour ago. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, that, is wild. that is a wild story. He's, watch him get away with it. Watch a white-collar criminal grease the right palms yeah. and get away scot-free by ripping off millions and millions and millions of people, Yeah, including your teacher's phone. Over billions of dollars. Yeah. Speak, we have to bring up too, sorry, it's actually kind of a big deal which got glossed over. Uh, speaking of getting away with it, uh, New South Wales government threw out 33,000 fines handed out during the pandemic because they're unlawful. So I said this during the pandemic. We didn't say it on here, but I had said it to people. I said, if you get a ticket mm-hmm. for one of these things, throw it in the bin. Yeah, don't pay it. There is, you, you can't. Like, and, and I was talking about, not being belligerent, but giving you a ticket for being outside? Yeah. No. Like, no. We just, had, just throw in the bin. The and thing I've that spoken, we had said, I had spoken to police officers yeah. that said that there is no way that they were going to charge any tickets, and I don't know of anyone. I only know one place in Queensland, which I think was, should I name them? No Ego Coffee, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they were the only people that I know of that got pinned for yeah. anything, but, but they were being very outwardly. Yeah, yeah, and in saying that, in with the New South Wales thing, the people who paid their tickets are getting them refunded. Yeah. So one of the things that we haven't specifically said don't pay your tickets, but what we did say was mandates are not laws. There was no legislation behind any of these things. Yeah. It was literally their their justification was there is a state of emergency, therefore we can do this. Yeah. But there was no legislation behind it. Yeah. So yeah, fascinating story. Thirty three thousand tickets just thrown out unlawful you have the story obviously from victoria too where all their tickets got thrown out because all the police that handed them out weren't sworn in <laughs> so couldn't <laughs> legally hand out any tickets which you know what how now convenient that, now that i think about that off the top of my head too though i wonder how much wide run ranging ramifications that had for people in prison did those cops put people in prison during that time no i think you'll find the non-sworn in part was the scapegoat. Yeah, that was bullshit just to get out of the... T- yeah, 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 yeah. No one gets hurt. Yeah. Well, no one gets egg on Oh, this, the drill sergeant, he was supposed to do the swearing, yeah. but he forgot to do that. Dan bit. Andrews oh, hey. gets to blame someone else again. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, but uh, more on government corruption, you've got a nice little <laughs> a funny story that happened. Was it this week or last week? Uh, it was this week that this one came out. 
Uh, I don't know if I've... I think I saved the story. Here we go. Uh, This is from abc.net.au. Health Minister Yvette Darth says she stored her furniture on the same site as Vaccine Hub. (laughs) Health Minister Yvette Darth has confirmed she was gifted facilities to store her own personal furniture in the same privately owned complex where her department was leasing a vaccine hub. The free storage was provided by the complex's owner, whose company was being paid by Miss Dart's department to host the vaccine clinic. That's taxpayer money, just like, in case anyone isn't aware, that's taxpayer money. Miss Darth made the admission in Parliament yesterday in response to questions from the opposition. The questions followed an ABC story revealing details of her department's deal to lease the site at Kipper Ring between May last year and April this year. Previously, Miss Darth had declared the gift of storage on her registration of uh, register of interest with the statement "temporary use of storage space." Marlene Newcomb. The declaration made in September last year did not state where the storage was located or for what time frame. This week, the ABC revealed that at the time of the declaration, Miss Darth's department was paying Miss Newcomb's company, Colbury Proprietary Limited, thousands of dollars a week to lease the site. The ABC does not suggest any wrongdoing by Miss Newcomb in relation to the vaccine clinic or providing storage to the minister. The ABC had asked Miss Darth if the storage is in the same complex as where the vaccination clinic lease was based and whether the gift gave rise to a perceived conflict of interest. Miss Darth did not say where the furniture was stored. But she did stress that she had no involvement of any sort in her department's decision to locate the vaccine clinic on the site. I don't think it's... So, just a record, I don't think it's a... um, uh, Look, it's naughty. It's laughable, really. Do you know... Sorry, you you, you flesh out your thought. It's... um, Look... I, I'm not mad at her for, like... To me, that's the best use of a vaccine facility. <laughs> that is the only... Like, for storage, when you move in house, you know, you're getting these brown paper bags coming in, you're upgrading yeah. your place, you need a place to store your stuff. Well, you've got all these useless vaccine joints. <laughs> well, I'll just put it there. Yeah. That actually makes... That's the nicest thing that's happened out of the vaccine rollout. That's the best that's outcome. That's an interesting way of looking at it. That's how I see it. Uh... This is the way that I see it. Clear as day, it is a conflict of interest when the taxpayers are paying for a facility and a public servant who is already paid by the taxpayer is taking advantage of that uh, organisation or contract for her own personal gain for free. That's pretty clear. Now... It would be rude if they turned the fridge off so all the vaccines went bad and ended up in a river... So that you can fit her old couch there. So I've just tried to look up as well how much taxpayer money Yvette Darth already receives from us. As and there's an article here. Here we go. If so, I didn't know how much she gets paid. Yeah. Four hundred grand. It's got to be. Yeah, not no, nah, not not quite. Three hundred and thirty three thousand seven hundred and twenty six dollars. She got a pay rise last plus year super. to that figure. Yeah, it'll be it will be plus super. So she already gets paid over $300,000. She also didn't lose a cent of her money over the pandemic because she was working every single day, even though she was telling everyone else that they couldn't work during the day. But you've seen storage prices though, Jason. They are horrendous. She also got 
a pay rise last year during the pandemic while everyone else wasn't getting paid and you know you can't really justify handing out more money to public servants when there's like less businesses open therefore less gst being uh brought in which essentially is what helps to pay the state's bills a lot of the time um and she's just taking more liberties but the, the biggest thing that stands out for me on this it sounds like it's a small deal this is the level of contempt that they have, that the bureaucrats involved in the entire thing have for the people. They just do not give a fuck about the average Joe Blow on the street who voted them into government in the first place. And this is from the top down. And you know what? This, this might be something nice for me to finish on, something really, really negative. <laughs> so we're talking before about how the left don't care about data. Here are some things that I'll just rattle off on the top of my head that the health bureaucrats and uh, the politicians lied to us about during the pandemic. Number one, as I said before, Fauci lied about lockdowns. Fauci said that lockdowns were effective. Mm. He had no data to support that. And the entire Western world imposed that on their people. They lied about the efficacy of the vaccine. The original phase three trial data said for Pfizer said 95% effective at preventing symptomatic infection of SARS-CoV-2. That was a lie. And obviously all the health bureaucrats went along with it. They lied about ivermectin being horse medicine. When regardless of whether it works for COVID or not... horse medicine too. Yeah. Water's a horse drink. Horse drink, that's right. But yeah, regardless of whether it works or not, ivermectin is used... Oh, sorry, for COVID. Ivermectin is used to treat a myriad of different diseases in human beings. So they lied about it being horse medicine. They lied about like people being locked down. So what what I'm... Well, yeah, masks is another one too. So Fauci originally said that they didn't work, so there wouldn't be a run on masks. And then he said that they do work. And now people still think they work. When if you do research into COVID, one of the reasons why the vaccines are ineffective is because they don't um, give you production of... Yeah, in your mucosal system. Now... Uh, they, I think it's LGA is the, the substance that is required to give you immunity in your mucosal system. Now, where is mucus? It's in your nose. Do you know where else it is? It's in your eyes. So you can actually get infected with COVID through your eyes. The data shows that. So anyone who thinks wearing a mask here protects you from COVID is wrong. Yeah. But they lied about that. They lied about how your immune system works. Yeah. So think about this. Think back to when the vaccine rollout first began and then went on for the next few months. They were literally trying to convince you that vaccine, a vaccine, which is supposed... The way a vaccine works is it is supposed to stimulate an immune response from your immune system to then train your own immune system to detect a pathogen and have a plan of attack when it sees it in the mm. wild. So it's using your own immune system to its advantage. It's just training your immunity. And yet they lied about, they said you could not get natural immunity from COVID. You had to get your immunity from a vaccine when it uses the same pathway. So they lied about that. Mm. They lied about the fact that these things were called vaccines in the first place. Mm. They literally changed the definition of the term vaccine to include these mRNA shots in it. Instead of changing the vaccines themselves so they would fit the definition of a vaccine, they just changed the definition of the word. Yeah. So they lied about that. What I was saying before, they lied about the lockdowns. 
they told everyone that everyone was in this together and they're all doing the right things. Well, what's come out since then? They tipped off all the sports teams in days in advance of when they were going to lock down so they could go into state to keep playing. Yeah. yeah. Right? So there's been all these leaked emails, especially to clubs down in Melbourne, so the Melbourne Storm, who stationed themselves up in North Queensland, a lot of the AFL teams, they were tipped off days in advance so they could leave the state because a new lockdown was coming. So what does that mean? That means, why are you locking down? Because you've got COVID spreading around your state. Tipping these people off allows them to travel interstate, potentially taking the virus with them. Yeah. But they lied about that too. So... When I'm rattling off all of these different things that they lied about, it might be easy to say, oh, they didn't know. They just didn't know at the time, right? Like, they're politicians. They're trying to make the best decisions that they can with the data that they've got. They just didn't know. And I would cop that if any one of them that was involved in these control measures during the pandemic ever held a single health bureaucrat to account for the mistakes that were made. Mm, still waiting on seeing the health advice. Never we, came out that's right. We've still never seen the health advice. We're still not allowed to see the contracts between the Australian government and Pfizer mm. for the procurement of these vaccines. Yeah. Like, not one of them has come out and gone, Pfizer lied to us about the efficacy of their vaccine using a faulty trial. That's why we imposed these mandates. Yeah. We are sorry that we trusted them and we will be going, we'll be doing everything in our power. Kick out every one of their products out of the country. Yeah, we'll, we'll do everything in our power yeah. to bring them to justice. Not one of them has done that. Yeah. And the worst part of it for me is last week, uh, uh, the Malcolm Roberts, One Nation Senator, had put forth a bill to release the Pfizer contracts unredacted so the Australian people could see what was in these contracts. And it was voted against by Labor and the Greens. Now, you've got to remember, the Liberal government was the one who signed these contracts. Yeah. Supposed when, out. When have you ever seen Labor not take an opportunity to shit on the Liberals for mistakes they've made? Yeah. This was the perfect opportunity. So anyone in the comments, can you give me one rational, non-conspiratorial reason why the Labor Party and the Greens, specifically, who are supposed to be the, we all love each other, we're transparent and we want the world to exist in five years, party, why would they vote against... Making those contracts well, more to the, more open the point, to the public. Why would anyone not want that information public? That's right. Yeah, we should know. Yeah, what is there to hide? It seems like an awful lot. And on that note... Thanks for joining us, guys. See you next week.